This episode of Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen is not intended as a substitute for seeing your own mental health provider. We are here to initiate conversations about sex. Let's keep the conversations going. You can find us on Twitter at TalkingSexPod or email us at TalkingSexPodcast at gmail.com. We also want to give special thanks to Nathan Diffie for our podcast cover art and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers. Yo. There's certain things that I can talk to you about that I can't really with my dad. I don't think we should talk about this. Welcome to Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen. I'm Jen. I'm here with Lynn. It's a great subject we're going to be talking about today, Jen. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm really excited about today's topic. We're going to be talking about breakups, which is something that everybody at some point in their life, unless they're celibate, experiences. And I think it's something where it's so much a part of our culture, but we don't really talk about it very much. It's something that just kind of happens and people wonder about what's going on or they don't know how to make sense of things. And so I think what's really exciting is that we're here, we're going to talk about starting with, I think, the course of the breakup and kind of getting into other aspects that maybe aren't as discussed as often. And as therapists, we both experience with our patients, this is a major reason people enter therapy. Oh, absolutely. Um, It's maybe half of our patients at any one time are dealing with a breakup. Therapy is a great time to be, you know, therapy is a great thing to engage in when you're going through a breakup. So just being aware of that, that therapy is a tool that we use at this time and a coping strategy for a lot of people. And that it's a healthy coping strategy. A healthy coping strategy with breakups. Yeah. So why don't you get us started in talking about the sequence of breakups? Well, I think it's very important for people to think about the course of a relationship and even, and that is over time. And our culture really, I think for, especially for women, brings up the idea that you're supposed to be in a relationship that goes on ever after, you know, till death. And even after that, do you part? So it goes on, you know, to the to infinity, really. And uh, our sequence and our experience as therapists is quite different. And I think for most people, um, they're in multiple relationships throughout their lifetime. Uh, Some of them are romantic. So there's a course of relationships that's romantic. But I think even beginning with, I have relationships with brothers and sisters. I have relationships with parents. I have relationships with friends. Some of those end too. There are breakups with friends. There are breakups with parents even. There are breakups with siblings that occur. So there's a lot of of different types of breakups. I think the film that really brought up for me um, the course of a breakup was Scenes from a Marriage. And if if someone out there listening hasn't seen it, it's a six-part episode uh, film made by uh, the Swedish director Bergman has Liv Ullman as the female actress in uh, the sequence. And it really talks about the course of ending a relationship in six parts. The first part is disclosure, you know, where it comes up, there's shock, there's lack of understanding. It turns out that it's actually her husband of several years who breaks up with her. 
who initiates it. But it could have come really from either side. And you see that as you get to know both these people. And then it goes through various stages. There's the anger, there's the going out to, you know, inflict anger and guilt on the other person by having another relationship quickly. Uh, there's the children that are caught in the crossfire. Uh, there's a lot that really happens with this breakup. Eventually, there's even an episode where they reconnect and they sleep together, something that's not uncommon in a breakup sequence. And at the final uh, episode there, it's years later, and they're friends, and they're having lunch or dinner or some meal together, and they're talking about the course of their relationship and the breakup, which I think is so important that, you know, you begin to see there is a course, and for some of our relationship, there's even friendship in the long run. I know uh, I have several old romantic partners that I have friendships with now, and I really treasure those because these are people who knew me at a very different time in my life, and they have different insights. They remember the person I was 20, 30 years ago. So those things are very important if you can hold on to them. So with that in mind, why don't you sit, you know so much, Jen, from your patients about kind of the social media aspect of breakups. And in our modern world, um, there's a social media course, you know, which is a lot quicker and faster than the scenes from a marriage. Yeah, I mean, I think that's such an interesting thing, because just bringing it up in that context, I think, first off, is a lot of people don't recognize, as I mentioned earlier, that there even is this course. I think people feel kind of like, well, you break up and then it's done and then you have to deal with it and mm -hmm. then you move on, you know. And really there is this course and there is a way to navigate it where you can kind of take care of yourself and not try not to harm the other person and reintegrate, I think, or even just integrate the experience of the breakup into part of your life story. And so what I see with a lot of my younger patients, but also some of the older patients who are using like Tinder and different, mm -hmm. you know, apps is that the relationship course has changed a lot in that some things are sped up, but it's also very interesting because in some ways people are able to say more through texting, through um, that type of conversation. But then when there's a problem that comes up or maybe they don't understand something or they feel the other person is drifting away there's more of this likelihood to kind of wait and see rather mm -hmm. than exploring or bringing it up or announcing things. And another big change I see is more often now, breakups are happening kind of through text. So you don't even get kind of the face-to-face. -face. You don't get mm -hmm. the emotional experience. And in some ways, I think it's part of like an avoidant strategy mm -hmm. where then you don't have to deal with the fact that the other person is crying or trying to win you back or convince you that you're mm -hmm. making the wrong choice. It's just, you know, this isn't working. Goodbye. Well, last week in my office, one of my teen patients, her boyfriend, uh, texted her, are you in therapy? And then he texted her he was breaking up with her because he wanted her to have the support of me being there to talk to her. But then he was intending to do the breakup at that time. Oh and this is not the first time that's yeah. happened with a patient. So what you're bringing up, I think, is really part of it, that breakups 
you know, can happen in a very summary way. And there's no awareness of this long course that follows many, many breakups. Yeah. I think another thing that's far more common now is, you know, Instagram is very popular and um, people will petty post, which is Mm -hmm. basically, you know, the next day Mm -hmm. you'll see them posting maybe over the weekend they go to a kickback or a party and they say, this is the best time I've ever had. I can't imagine, you know, having had a greater time. And it's very clear that it's like an experience without the boyfriend there or maybe the boyfriend, the ex-boyfriend now is posting, you know. So there's a lot more of this kind of revenge, petty focused um, interaction, Facebook stalking, Mm -hmm. you know, where you're following this person that you were friends with, that you were dating, and you're Mm -hmm. kind of seeing all the things that are going on in their lives. They're checking in here, they're Mm -hmm. checking in there. Um, Well, even in uh, scenes from a marriage, um, there was stalking to some degree that occurs. And I think even before Facebook and petty posts, there were, you know, you stalk them, you wonder who they were going out with, you'd compare yourself to a new imagined person. And this followed through with fantasies. So I saw a lot of that, really, with patients. Then years ago, you'd have uh, teenagers who might show up knowing, you know, that their partner might be there and all of those things. So that kind of situation, I think, has always existed. Oh, But you're right, it's more immediate. They're combing the internet now often, looking for information about an ex, which is very different. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the the use of kind of revenge has always been there too, Mm -hmm. but it's a different form of revenge because with something like Instagram, you know, you're essentially having this very public fight, even though it doesn't necessarily feel that way. You know, mm-hmm. you also have these small actions now mean so much, you know, like blocking somebody or unblocking, unfriending them. You know, with one of my exes, actually, I realized that he was just kind of following along with everything I did and mm-hmm. was liking all these posts. And I realized for myself, like, One, I didn't Mm. want that because if we were going to build a friendship, this was not going to work. It was Mm. keeping them kind of stuck in this place. Mm -hmm. Kind of an unhealthy attachment to you at that point. Right. And what I did, I ended up defriending them, which Mm -hmm. was like a huge thing. But it it was confirmed for me because basically as soon as I defriended them from Facebook, they sent me this message like, why did you defriend me? And it just kind of confirmed like, okay, you know, it was the right decision as hard as that is because they need to move on. If they even want to have some kind of friendship, they cannot be stuck in this place. Well, you bring up an important part of the course of of breakups and part of that is a separation is going to take place. So maybe you can reconnect. You know, I have old partners that I reconnect with. We yeah. have online relationships now, yeah. you know, briefly and or even more extensively. But there were, was a long period of separation. They understand the new parameters as do I. So that process has to take place before or generally before you can do this. There's a very few relationships that transition right into friendship. Right. I think I think that's a very hard transition to make when you feel so attached to somebody, when they are so much a part of your life, when you are in love with them. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to be able to separate yourself to be able to 
figure out kind of who you are, who they are, where that boundary is, and how you can draw new boundaries. And this brings up, you were asking, I think, what was in the literature and what was in all, all kinds of experiences years ago. And I think there was a lot of awareness of people, many people have a hard time with breakups. Oh, yeah. And so there is that point where a breakup has occurred. More often, you're the one broken up with at that point. And you really have to decide, you know, what you're going to do to rebuild your life. And part of that is the disconnection from the person that you're maybe at this point hanging on to an attachment with. The other is trying to build yourself up again because you've lost part of yourself really to that relationship. So yourself is less than it really was even before you entered. So it's very, very important. Friends play a big role. Therapy can play a big role. Uh, fun activities can play a big role. There's a lot of healthy coping strategies you can engage in. And I think friends and family are very supportive around the breakup period. You need them. You really need them at that time. Well, I think you need people who are supportive and you hope that those are your family members and your friends. You know, if it isn't, then it can be a lot harder. I think the big thing for people that I see, the frustration that comes up a lot in um, therapy is that at first people are supportive and then it's almost like they want people to get over it really quickly. Exactly. You know, so it's like you've had, you know, you've had a week to deal with this. Like, why aren't you better? And, and part of that is recognizing that the course of it is you know, it, it doesn't just get better in a week, that it takes time, that it's so much an identity shift. And I think that's something we talked about is that, you know, with a breakup, it can really bring up some things around mental health and your sense of self and feeling rejected. I think especially for teens in particular who maybe haven't had as many relationships, the rejection is very painful in a way that it isn't later on down the line if you've learned different coping skills you know well jenna i couldn't agree more about teens because i think they don't have the experience and there's only maybe one two three relationships they've had yeah and then the breakup occurs and they're shocked that they're so anxious and depressed and for parents listening this is the time when the risk of suicide is highest right. is at a teen breakup i know myself i was in a long-term marriage of decades and then when that breakup came about, I was adrift, really, for a period of time. Yeah. And it, it took years before I felt like I was the strong individual that I feel myself to be today. But it takes a long time to rebuild that, months and years. And I think for friends to realize that, it's very important that you're going to have to be there and listen to the story of the breakup over and over and over again. Right. I mean, I think that's a huge part of it. I think bringing up, too, is looking at attachment styles. So we talked in our previous podcast about attachment styles. So if you haven't listened to that yet, please go listen to that. It's a huge part of relationships in general. And attachment is really how you engage with other people to build a relationship. And are you anxious or do you avoid it or do you overinvest? So there's all types of attachment styles for people to be alert to. Right. And not to forget secure, <laughs> which is the one where, you know, you have a positive self-concept and also a positive experience in reaching out to other people and expecting 
that when you do reach out, you will get comfort, you will get support. Because I think that's a huge part of what we do in therapy is we help people realize that when you talk about things, when you bring things up, that can be very positive and that mm -hmm. you can get support and that that is a form of healthy coping. Mm -hmm. I mean, so along those lines, though, I think is really this idea that it's it how how you are in relationships, how you think about yourself in a relationship, how, what you come to expect in terms of getting comfort and getting support and whether you can rely on yourself or on others or are able to rely on both, I think plays a really big role in how you deal with a breakup in terms of, you know, those who are anxious are more likely to kind of reach out to other people, but also to try to find ways to keep the relationship going and um, just kind of clinging to it. I see a lot of anxious people who sort of want to live in this fantasy land and pretend like it hasn't ended yet or pretend that's a big part, you know, is not facing the reality that feels too scary. Is that what you see as well? Oh, yes. And this is for, I'd say, for men, women, boys, oh, yeah. girls, everyone, that there's the idea that the person is still, you know, maybe text you once or twice and you think, oh, they're just taking a break. Although you've gotten a clear text that they want to end it. Right. And uh, you fantasize with the photographs which are so common now that is still going on you maybe don't tell family members that the breakup has happened um you certainly don't engage in any other relational activity so all of these things are kind of keeping it going beyond the point and i think for people who are doing that or friends of those who are doing that it's a good time to think of referring for therapy and help at that point yeah, I mean, just talking about a personal experience with my ex, I mean, that was something that I hadn't experienced before was kind of how anxiously attached he was. So when I broke up, I made it very clear, like, I'm breaking up, like, this is a breakup. I'm pretty sure I used those words. And, you know, what happened was later on, we were living in different places. It was like an hour drive away. So then I drove away, thought we were broken up. You know, we had kind of settled that, this was happening and it came out later that you know he decided to show up at a new year's event that I was going to I happened to be dating somebody new at that time and he had gone there with this idea that he was going to like win me over with a new year's kiss you know this whole big fantasy thing and it was so interesting because when I finally did sit down with him, he was saying all these things that was like, you know, I didn't know it was a breakup. If it had been, if I had known it was a breakup, I would have done it differently. Like I would have fought for you. I would have. And it was just so interesting because it was like he was living in this fantasy about what had happened and mm -hmm. that I hadn't, you know, actually broken up with him and that. It was something I had never encountered before, personally. That is very common, I think, for people, especially if you're the one who's having the breakup done to you, yeah. where you cannot, you really don't hear it right. when it's happening. And it takes maybe a year 
before you really are aware as your ex was finally this is a breakup yeah and uh, that sequence i think is very important to keep in mind because we watch our friends going through breakups we think what's going on with them they're still pretending they're in this relationship right they're doing crazy things um, but a lot of people have trouble they really cannot compute it when they first hear it. And for those uh, who are breaking up out there, I think to keep that in mind, when you break up with someone, you have to be firm and you have to be kind. And, uh, you know, but you have to, if you're intent on leaving, you have to emphasize the separation. I think that's so hard for people to do, you know, and it's so important to really say, you know, I'm doing this for both of our health, you know, we need to separate. I cannot mm -hmm. be with you. And you have to say that maybe, you know, Many multiple times. times, multiple times. And they still show up at parties and things, and they still have fantasies about you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely, it's not an easy thing. And I think being able to recognize that that can happen, and I think one thing that's overlooked a lot of the time is obviously it's harder to be the person that's being broken up with, but breaking up with somebody itself is not an easy thing. In particular, mm -hmm. when I work with teens, although I see it with adults a lot too, is a lot of people put off breaking up because it's such a hard thing and they come up with different, you know, well, we planned this event together or we mm -hmm. bought plane tickets or, you know, and it's like, but you've told me that you're incredibly unhappy. You don't feel they listen to you. You don't feel you're going anywhere. You don't see a future with them. You know, you don't, you fight all the time, different things. And yet it's still, okay, but yeah, you know, when we were happy together, we planned this trip and therefore I can't break up with them until after it. it it's very interesting kind well, of. How do you think people could uh, prepare better? You know, let's say you want to break up with somebody, you feel uneasy. What should you do if you're at that point in a relationship? What do you think, Jen? I mean, I think it's figuring out sort of what it is that you would want to communicate, getting to a place where you can think about what you want to see happening, being able to manage your own feelings around it. You know, and I think being able to talk with other friends a lot of times is very helpful. I think reaching out to your own support network, being prepared for kind of life after, because I think a big part is people are afraid of, well, you know, maybe I haven't been single in a long time. I don't know what I'm going to do. And so sort of preparing kind of in your mind, like, okay, well, you know, if I break up with this person, what can I do? Who can I reach out to? Mm -hmm. Sort of coming up with a plan in a way. So not having it be this abrupt thing, but really preparing yourself and also really thinking about, I've been with this person for however long you've been with them. How are they likely to react? Because mm -hmm. then you can be a little bit more prepared going in. I think that's a very good idea for the one doing the breakup to have a kind of breakup plan. Yeah. You know, and you can prepare yourself. Let's say you're unable to leave, uh, or you find, but you know that you need to, or you feel that you need to. I think then walking through it with friends, mm -hmm. um, talking in, to a therapist about it. This is my plan. What do you think? Right. How long is this really going to take? And um, I think if you're really, really unhappy in a relationship, it's important to give it a period of time. And I'd say the outer limit of that is a year. Really yeah. get some help, get some treatment, 
look at it and see what could be done. You know, is it something you're doing? Is it a, you know, something that's changeable? Right. Could couples therapy make a difference with this? There's so many different points that you can really look at there. But don't postpone indefinitely, you know, something that it really makes you very unhappy. Yeah. And I, I see so many people in relationships where they're unhappy and they do not leave. So that's a very, very tough one. It really is. So uh, some wait for children to grow up in a marriage. And if you got that intention, I think pick a point where your happiness factors into it, where you still have an opportunity for that. I think so. I mean, I think the other part is to recognize kind of, again, back to attachment, because it's such a big part of things is, you know, if you recognize and build your own self-awareness, then I think you have a better chance at pursuing healthy coping mechanisms. And a lot of people just kind of, as we've talked about, go through and they blunder kind of through. And I think if you can be more measured about things, I think people think of breakups as a very abrupt kind of experience. But what we're talking about really is kind of setting into motion something that's mm -hmm. a bit more measured and thought out. And I think what that allows for too, is it, it helps with a sense of closure in a breakup too. You know, it allows you to really grieve, but also have already been moving forward and through something. And that's tricky. You know, you're really balancing several emotional activities at the same time. Oh, yeah. Because you're grieving the loss, even if you're the person breaking up. Yeah. And at the same time, making plans for your new life and moving forward without the other person. So for many people, one emotional activity in a relationship is enough. And the fact you have to do two or three. And then the third is to some degree, be aware of and care about your ex-partner and where they're going. And uh, I think so many people are afraid to show caring because they're worried that uh, that will keep the other person there. So right. it's really tricky. You've got to show the caring. That you care about. Yeah, them. it was a relationship. You were attached. And at the same time, work on your own issues and really develop your strength to remain and grow separate from them. So well, really tricky to do that. <laughs> absolutely. And and what you bring up there, what it jogs my memory of is, is that, you know, I wasn't very good at kind of figuring out how to break up with people. And I often waited so long that I was just frustrated and mm -hmm. done. And it was very hard to be kind at the end. You know, like I kind of figured out how to do it. But I found it was very, very challenging because by then I had almost built up an apathy mm -hmm. about, you know, like, well, whatever, this isn't going anywhere. Like, why should I even, you know, they don't care. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to not care. And I think what we're talking about is if you can watch kind of the course of your relationship and recognize the signs that maybe this is where you're heading, you don't have to wait so long that it, it becomes harder to even keep it kind. Yeah, and that's why I, I mentioned the outer limit usually of a year. Uh, and that is the outer limit on yeah. an unhappy relationship because you really want to think about all of these other things if you can. And this is a year where you work hard. You're trying right, to change. you're not just waiting. You're for trying things. to see, can this relationship work? 
Um, years ago, there was a book written by the psychiatrist Peter Kramer, Should I Leave? And it's really an intent process that you have to go through considering the options, the other person, your, your own happiness, and the course of the relationship you've been in. Has it been a happy one? What has happened with it? You know, has your own growth suffered? You know, a lot of different things you have to look at with that. Well, I think one thing that came up for me is that what I saw is that even the happy memories, if you wait for a very long time, some of them get tinged with that kind of negativity. And so mm -hmm. it can be harder to move on in a kind place because all you remember are kind of these negative things creeping in. But really, at one point, you were in love or you thought you were in love. Mm -hmm. And you want to be able to hang on to those positive experiences as a positive thing and mm -hmm. to integrate them into your life. And for our teens, you know, the average teenage relationship runs about 18 months. And that might surprise the listener out there because that's a long time. It's actually longer for teen years than it is in your 20s. In your 20s, the relationships are shorter, they're faster. I think people have learned in a way what they do and don't want and they're moving through searching and some are in unhealthy patterns of right. not really attaching. Right. But uh, in an 18 month relationship, you would expect a breakup might take, the feelings afterwards might take a year. You know, I think that's hard for people to be aware of that it's gonna take that long. But after a marriage or longer-term relationship, it could take a decade to really move out of it. Uh, recently, I've been reading the, the biography of Queen Victoria and her daughters. And Queen Victoria's husband died after 20 years of marriage. And she loved him very much. She was very invested uh, in the relationship with Albert. But then for 40 years, she wore widow's clothing. Um, she grieved. She did not reattach. And she really gravely affected the lives of those around her with her depression and everything else. So she did not move through those phases. And I think that's a lot of what I see, you know, because these are people that are coming in recognizing that they haven't moved, you know, mm -hmm. and I think that's a big part, too, is that part of the breakup process, a healthy breakup process, is that you are moving. You know, it, you are grieving, you are feeling mm -hmm. sad, you are feeling angry, you are, you know, wanting all these things, but that you're, you're constantly kind of shifting. And with some people, mm -hmm. they, they get so stuck and fixated that they cannot find it within themselves to move past what's happened. Um, and it affects other people. It affects other people a great deal around you. And then your friends and family push away, right. as they did with Victoria. Or, or it affects yeah. your children and kind of yeah. how they attach to you. Exactly. And with Victoria, she kept some of her daughters around because she didn't want them to attach and leave her. Right. And so you see how the really it spreads widely if you do not get the help that you need with that. It's yeah. really important to do that. And I think recognizing that, because what I see is a lot of parents who maybe haven't resolved their own conflicts, and then when their children are going through whatever relationship troubles, I think, one, it can trigger kind of your own memories and things that you haven't resolved. And often I'm doing parent-child work, mm -hmm. you know, even though it starts out as maybe the child got broken up with or something, because it's so much a part of our lives that if we don't examine how it's affected us, mm -hmm. 
then we can't see how it affects the people around us. Exactly. And, uh, you know, half of marriages in America end in divorce. So right. there many times these are parents of teenagers. Yeah. And having been in that position myself as a parent of a teenager and newly divorced, yeah. it's a time where you really have to do emotional work, it's not only for yourself, but so you're ready to support your teens' relationships, so you're not living through your teenager's relationships, and so there's a lot. So your teenager doesn't We're feel sorry for you and engage yeah. in some unhealthy activities. So there's a lot of different things that have to happen then. Yeah, I mean, so breakups, they have a big impact. And I don't think this is meant to be like a scary, like, oh my gosh, <laughs> kind of thing. I think it's just, again, it's the importance of conversations and awareness and that if you're aware of something, then you now have a choice about how you're going to deal with it. You know, you can't become unaware of something. You can deny something, but you can't become unaware once you're and aware. And maybe what we're trying to really help people with and guide others, and, and all of this, I think, is is helped by our own self-knowledge because we've each had therapy, we've each had relationships and relationships and breakups, you have to engage in them. It can't be you're just the therapist helping other people. Right. You really have to have the self-experience. But I think people need to be in relationships. They provide some of the greatest joy and self-learning, you know, and caring for others. They're, they're a necessary part of life. I do see many who cannot engage with them. Yeah. And uh, they might have a fantasized breakup. I have many, many patients I've worked with who have fantasized partners. They fantasize a breakup. And their lives are, are sadder for not having these real you know, experiences. They're really missing out on something. Well, relationships enrich our lives. Yeah. They're yeah. very, very important part. One of the things we talked about in... in preparing for this podcast was the violent aspect of some relationships. And 40% uh, of teenagers experience some violence, you know, partner, intimate partner violence, as right. it's sometimes abbreviated to IPV. IPV, and yeah. Uh, but really what it means, I think, is that many young relationships and older relationships have violence as a component of it. That does affect breakups because often people are afraid to break up with somebody who may have been violent toward them. Yeah. Um, it, you know, has many, many impacts in this process. So um, strangely enough, I think what we read was that it doesn't really alter uh, the rate of breakup. So if you're in a violent relationship, that's not necessarily a factor in the breakup. And that surprised me, I think, finding that out. I actually wasn't that surprised, I guess maybe because I work with so many people where I see, you know, like domestic violence situations. Yeah. And I think, um, so it wasn't that it was a surprise. I guess looking at the statistic and seeing it confirmed was a surprise. Yes. But it yeah. wasn't a surprise in the sense that, you know, I think people going into a relationship think, oh yeah, if somebody was violent to me, of course I wouldn't be in that relationship. I would just end it. But it's really not that simple, and I think you have to look at more of the factors. And I think um, what what the article that we were reading um, brought up was this idea that really it it isn't this logical thought like 
you know, pros, cons, yes, I'm going to do this, facts, facts, facts. It's really a lot about your attachments and mm -hmm. your perceptions mm -hmm. of things. You know, how would it be? Am I going to find somebody else? You know, do I have other options? Um, how am I going to feel being alone? Maybe this person fills a role. What I see a lot of the times with breakups and why it's so hard and what I often mm -hmm. say with clients is, yeah, obviously, if everything was terrible, then it would be very easy to break up, right? Like, I have no reason for staying here. Why am I here? But more often, it's this nuance thing where it's like, there are times when it's really good and I feel like this is the best thing ever. But then there are times where I really question and I feel like I'm stuck or I feel like I hate the person. Well, this brings up the abuse cycle. I think that's what you're talking about, Jen, that it's really, uh, there's a cycle there of really good experiences. And actually, if you have really bad experiences in a relationship, the good times can feel better. Right. You know, better than good. Exactly. And so I think being aware of the sequence, um, one of the other things that this recent study that we read really illustrated, and we should give the authors credit for yeah, it I was here. To look yeah, for the... let's find it because I think it's important. A very extensive study on uh, violence in relationships, but it's key, I think, that uh, family members say something because input from family members and friends, you know, many times I think uh, formerly that family members were encouraged not to say something. But family members and friends saying something about violence. So if you see a friend who's suffering abuse or a family member, it's important to say something and underscore that you support their choices. So you start engaging them in a process to talk about it. You don't say, you got to get out. Exactly. You say, let's look at your choices here. What's going on? So I think that's a very important point from this study that I, I really wasn't so aware of. And it speaks to parents Parents need to intervene with teens and say, hey, what's going on? Let's look at your choices here. Right. I think that's really important, particularly the way it's framed, right? A lot of times people are more likely to say, you know, he doesn't treat you well. You should get out. And that doesn't necessarily help a person. It, it, would, it often makes a partner more likely to defend them. You know, I think the big thing is that we have to look at kind of how you approach people, too. Yeah, so the study or is called Stay or Leave Decision Making in Nonviolent and Violent Dating Relationships. And it's uh, the people are Jennifer E. Kopp, Peggy G Peggy C. Giordano, Monica A. Longmore, and Wendy D. Manning, and they're all PhDs. And they're at Bowling Green University. So I think to be aware of, there are articles, and in our podcast, we inform all of our podcasts with a whole selection of the research out there, and then you and I, Jen, try to make it more human, really, for everybody. But this is a, a different study, really underscoring points about violent relationships that we don't hear very often. Right. And I think you and I have talked about doing a whole podcast about violence in relationships because it's it's such a huge part of the work that we do. Um, but I do think just talking about it in the context of a breakup is important because one of the biggest questions that people come to therapy when they're talking about kind of couples or even themselves that I see is, should I break up with this person? Exactly. And, they and that's often a want common, me to tell them. Yeah. Yeah, they almost want you, the therapist, exactly. to arrange 
first tell them what to do and what then arrange do and, and, and do the breakup if you could do it and you can't. The other thing about the study that I think was so interesting is in a violent, if you're in a violent relationship, it's really your perceived options, how you see your choices that's most important. And what happens in the violence uh, sequence, the abuse sequence, is you start to perceive fewer options. You don't see a way out of the cycle. And I think having a friend or family member say, you've got other options here. We've got at least two. We've got to look at them and decide what can be done. So it's really important if you're out there and you're suffering in a violent relationship, really to look at the options, or even if you're not suffering, I think be aware of the impact of this on yourself and developing self. I think one is learning to recognize red flags and, and not mm. kind of just railroading over them. I think the other is recognizing that before an act of physical violence happens, there's often a lot of emotional violence that goes on, degrading comments, you know, a lot of arguing, being demeaning, things that wear at your self-worth, wear at your sense of self, wear at your perception about things. And so I think it's very hard by the time a physical act of violence has happened, it can be very hard for a person in that relationship to see their options. And so often it is an outsider's perspective, whether a therapist or whether, you know, a friend or family member who can help them kind of rebuild a sense of self that allows them to recognize that what's happening to them isn't okay. About half of violent relationships, the violence is coming from both sides. Yeah. So it's not just one, you know, perpetrator, as right. it's sometimes called. Um, so I think people engage back with violence, when violence is directed at them. Uh, people have poor coping skills in relationships and they use violence as a coping skill, really. Yeah. It is a way to gain power. Absolutely. Violence over another at another person gives you some power over them. And um, that cycle is really important to understand. And if you're locked in a cycle of violence where you're engaging in violent return, I think it's really important to look at different options. You can even salvage the relationship with therapy, yeah. but you need to look at how violence plays a role in your relationship. Absolutely. I think I also want to get back to this question, though, because it's so common in, mm. in sessions, is when is the time to break up? How do you mm. deal with people asking that question and kind of wanting you to answer for them? How do you get them to explore that question? Well, I think we actually started with it at the beginning of the podcast. But for me, Jen, I see breakups as a process. So you start people on the beginning part of this road. Let's look at what would happen with the breakup. What's your relationship like? What's your uh, really style of attachment? other people? What are your coping strategies now in the relationship? And what would they be if you got out? And then what's your sense of self? And I think what your sense of self in plays a big, big part of it. 
Um, a lot of my own research is on risk taking and breakups are one of the biggest risks you can take. Being in a relationship is the other big emotional risk, right? but then breaking up is a big one. So seeing it as a risk, healthy risk taking behavior that you can engage in and really grow from is very, very important. So it is a process. So I say to the person, look, we're going to start a process. These are some of the questions we're going to engage in. I encourage them to keep a journal so that they can see the transition of their feelings over months. All of those things are part of a breakup process. Yeah, I mean, I think we did mention it before, but I, I think it's helpful for mm. people to hear about it in this consolidated form mm. um, because it really is sort of something that, you follow a certain pattern. These are questions that I ask yeah. all the time. The answers mm -hmm. vary all the time, but mm -hmm. it's not like you're asking all these different questions each time you break up. There's kind of a general pattern that you go through. I, I also think, Jen, the other thing people are unaware of is that they're going to have several days, months, may, you know, even years of sadness and suffering because loss of another person that intimacy or the fantasy of that intimacy is a big deal. Okay. And so engaging in expecting some pain and suffering is important to be aware of that. And, you know, reading books and seeing movies and uh, experiencing the wisdom of others when you're going through this is so helpful because that pain and suffering feels like it's only happened to you and not to everybody else out there. Right. And understanding that it's a universal experience, really break up and loss is so important. Yeah, I think that's such a crucial part. I would add to that is kind of the role that fear plays. I mean, I think mm. people know about that, but to mm. be able to talk about it head on. And I think that in talking about what keeps people from breaking up, a lot of times it's these fears. And a lot of the work that I do is exploring the fear, saying, okay, let's say you're afraid that this is going to happen. What would happen then? What would happen then? How mm -hmm. would you handle it? What would mm -hmm. you do? And instead of letting the fear just kind of be this looming darkness, you really shine a light on it and say, okay, well, if you don't have those coping skills, how do we get them? Or if you don't have those connections, how do we help you build them? So then it doesn't feel as scary. It's not that the fear goes away completely. It's just that it feels more manageable. I agree with you. I think you experience that fear, but you do it anyway. Yeah. You really go through it knowing this is a very scary thing to do. Well, we're getting to the point of where we've got to break off, not break up our engagement here with our listeners. And um, this has been, do you want to add one or two more things? Maybe we could finish with the strategies and encouraging things. Um, I think we've talked a little bit about them, but family and friends are crucial. You know, being aware of what to do and who can support you through breakups being aware of particularly the negative things, the red flags. If you have a violent partner, you know, maybe you do need to consider things like restraining orders and other protective strategies at that point in time. You know, we haven't talked completely about abusive relationships, but they do factor into breakups, and we will talk about that. And you really need to be aware of that. Uh, another red flag in breakups is stalking to be aware of that. Where are they stalking you online, in person, through friends, you know, through envy and, and kind of revenge-filled tactics. So there's a lot that can happen in the negative vein. 
But I think to build support and structure your breakup, see it as part of life, all of that is key. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. I would add to that. One of the big things is that one of the ways that friends or family often deal with someone breaking up with someone they care about is they'll start to kind of badmouth the other person. You know, well, mm-hmm. he he's not good enough for you. She's not good enough for you. You know, like he was never, I never liked him anyway. And while I can understand that sentiment in terms of wanting it to be supportive, often what that does is it makes the person cling more to the, the person they're trying to break up with. And so I think that's something to be aware of, is that you want to listen, you want to hear their story, you want to support them as a person, maybe reflect back to them the positive things that you see in them, help them rebuild their self-esteem, but that you do want to be careful about what you say about that other person, particularly with teen relationships where um, with young teens, let's say like middle schoolers, a lot of time, I think the average um, length of those relationships is like four months, mm-hmm. which can feel like forever when you're in middle school. <laughs> and so it's a lot of times there's breaking up and then getting back together, breaking up, getting back together, you know, big fight, getting back together. Not only with middle schools, oh, but through life. Right, through <laughs> yeah. life, absolutely. But I just think particularly at that time point, because they're so <laughs> sensitive to it feeling like a whole rejection of them and they don't have necessarily their sense of self fully Mm. kind of developed yet i think wherever you are in life but what you're talking about is really friends and friends have to um really be supportive to listen but the idea of saying negative things doesn't help and it also discounts the love that the friend has had for that person they've had love strong feelings intimacy And they will rigidly adhere to it if you go after it. Exactly. So I think for parents, that's important advice, but also for friends to really be there. And then the last thing is really to end on kind of what can you do for yourself? I think if you go through this process, towards the end, a big part of the course is being able to do a reflection, being Mm -hmm. able to look at, you know, what was your role in the breakup? What was your role in the relationship? You know, were there red flags that were there that, you know, in the future you want to be aware of so you don't fall in the same pattern? And really being able to ask yourself, what would you change about yourself in future relationships? And that can be done in therapy or outside of therapy, but it is a change process. And if you're doing that outside of therapy, you need to be thinking, how do you personally change? Do you do it through reading, through learning, through curiosity, through re-engaging? But you have to be in a change process, regardless of doing it inside or out of therapy. Yeah. So thank you so much, Lynn, for joining me in talking about this very important subject. And for all listeners out there, we've really outlined a number of other subjects to really deal with in the relationship area. But there's a very big part of sex and gender. Oh, absolutely. Come on. Let's talk about sex.